is our Everest. Greetings, Culture Vultures, and welcome to This Is Our Everest, the analogue TV podcast that can build anything. Hmm, yes, well... You heard anything, absolutely anything. Apparently, yeah, which kind of makes you wonder whether sticking it in a factory in the apparent arse end of nowhere is necessarily the best use of this incredible resource. (laughs) Well, well, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get deep into their business model, no doubt, during the course of this. This is Bertha. Bertha was an Iverwood Woodland Productions stop-motion animation for children made in 1985. Mm-hmm. It followed on from Iverwood's previous big hit, which was obviously Postman Pat. Mm-hmm. And it's made in exactly the same style. It looks exactly like it. Yeah. And in fact, some of the I believe some of the puppets in some of the episodes are just carried over. I think there's one episode where the factory is burgled, that one of the robbers is just Ted Glenn right. from Postman yeah. Pat. And obviously, after the untimely death of Roy Kinnear, who was the main narrator and did most of the voices, mm-hmm. Iverwood went on to make Charlie Chalk. Right. Again, in a very, very similar mm-hmm. style. I've always liked this this particular style. The thing is that these programmes get increasingly distant from me and they weren't very close to me to start with. Postman yeah. Pat. Oh. What year did Postman Pat start? Uh, I think it was probably sometime in the early 1980s. Yeah, for some reason I've got 1981 stuck in me and I've got no idea. Um, but... And I, think, and I think Charlie Chalk was maybe a year or so after this. Yeah, but I mean, if I was nine, say, by the time of Postman Pat. Yeah. And then I was, what, tw- 12 or 13 by the time of this nonsense. <laughs> and then yes. 13 or 14 by the time of Charlie Chalk, I have no idea. This... Oh, you're, you're missing out. This, I was kind of aware of you know I, 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 I even if it's just for the theme tune it's got one of the, the great TV yeah, we'll, theme we'll, tunes we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment so I wasn't the right age for any of them but out of the three no. this was kind of second in line you know yeah so you could also look at it as a second yeah, worst yeah Charlie Chalk does not inhabit my universe I no, no. idea and this is the first time you'd seen Bertha as well. It is the it? first time I'd seen it. Although, like I say, I was aware I, I was aware that it existed. I would probably I, I don't know if I'd have been able to tell you much about what it was about, apart from that I think it was either about a machine or a train. <laughs> the, Bertha could probably make a train. Mm. That's how adept Bertha is. This programme, in comparison, for me, was right in my wheelhouse. I was five years old when this first mm-hmm. aired on the 5th of November, 1985. Yeah. I mean, whether or not I watched it on the first came, first day it came out, I'm sure I've seen it all 13 episodes of Bertha. They will have. Because they were repeated yeah, down the line. they will have repeated them, like, on a loop. Oh, absolutely. And, and of course, my other advantage in, in regard to 
seeing children's television programs of the 1980s, as well as being a child in the 1980s. Mm. I also have a younger sibling, which you do not. So I got to watch it all over again, even when I was far too old, really. that's fair. (laughs) Luckily, now that I'm 41, I'm not watching Bertha hardly at all. Yeah, I mean, I I was obviously too old for this. Um... (laughs) Uh, you know, obviously. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> and the first, the first yeah. thing I've got to get off my chest is that if you're doing yeah. a TV show that's fifteen minutes long, yeah, you can't afford to be wasting one whole fucking minute on the theme tune. Bertha, lovely Bertha, you are a lovely machine. And anyone who works with you will know just what I mean. Bertha, lovely Bertha, sometimes I think you're a dream. When we work out what you have to do, you can always turn the goods out, always turn the goods out, we can depend on Oh, okay. So, I mean, uh, that's an idea that I've had for um, a future subscriber podcast, actually, is an analysis of television programs with overlong theme tunes and i suppose that on and on and on and on and that shit kids have a lower concentration span than adults yeah yeah that's true they're gonna you get i mean like 30 seconds into that i was like why hasn't this finished yet clicking in the day flashing in the night your computer is shining brightly well, I mean, one one thing about most children's programs worth their salt is that they do more or less all the exposition that you're going to need to watch the programme in the opening yeah. titles. Yeah, but I mean, look, just scale it up for a moment there. <laughs> a 60-minute long TV show with a four-minute long theme tune. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what sort of proportion we're looking at with the one that I always think of when it comes to overlong theme tunes, which is Quantum Leap. Oh right, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what sort of proportion we're looking at there, but yeah, obviously one fifteenth is heavy. It, and and, and look, I I didn't think there was anything particularly wonderful about it. What Bertha, the wonderful machine? I had to wait till the closing credits to find out who it was who sung it. Yeah, that's true. It wasn't even Derek Griffiths. No, it which was not sometimes Derek you get. I don't, I don't know what I was supposed to make of it. Maybe I should. Tr- maybe I should try it on my kids. I think what you're meant to take from it is that there's a factory with some people in mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And they've got a machine called Bertha, and Bertha mm-hmm. basically can make anything, which makes their factory and is sentient. Well, possibly it, it alludes to the fact that it might be sentient. That's a concern, isn't it? You'd expect them to know one way or the other, because oh, you, I mean, you would have thought your relationship, your relationship with it, has to be different yeah. if it's sentient. You know, I'm not here to prescribe how it should be. Yeah, I can't have the same sort of relationship with a refrigerator 
as I could have with an animal, like, you know, my a pet or something. Not even one of these modern trendy refrigerators that you can tweet from. Yeah. I mean I couldn't have that sort of relationship with a with a um with one of those robot floor hoovers. They're the most animal like of all the robots. The Roomba. As the Roomba, called. that's it, yeah. Have you got a Roomba? I've not got a Roomba. Oh. Today at Spotty's Wooden Company, Bertha is making garden gnomes. Tom takes them to Nell and Flo, who paint them in bright colours. Anyway, at Spotty's Wooden Co., which is the company, this mm-hmm. week they're making garden gnomes. Well, again, I mean... <laughs> the machine can make anything, and this week... The order they've got is garden gnomes. And that's the most lucrative offer they're getting, is it? Well, I mean, I don't know how the economy works in this particular world. That They're making the garden gnomes seemingly from a, a pile of Dougal's sugar lumps. Yeah, yeah, it's just like lump, lumps of plaster, isn't it? It's like, well, I mean, they're meant to be lumps of plaster. What they actually are is cubes of polystyrene. And Bertha... Yeah grabs them with the little grabby thing that comes out of her backside and then spits out a garden gnome. Tom, her little robot pal, Tom stands for Torque-Operated Machine. Okay. And Tom does most of the gopher work for Bertha. Uh, He takes the gnomes over to Nell and Flo, who are painting them. Mm -hmm. But the fly in the ointment, today Mm -hmm. is the factory foreman mr duncan who is one of a number of caledonians on staff he's doing a time and motion study yeah Uh, let's see Uh, yes i see him he's writing things down on his clipboard i wonder why which it turns out it was actually a, a decision that he had taken unilaterally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is an unusual move. I mean, I, I've done time and motion studies at work. When we've done them before, firstly, it's been impressed upon us that getting the consent of the person that you're doing it with... Yeah, very important. Is, is very important. And secondly... If anything, encourage them to go a little bit more slowly than normal, rather than more quickly than normal. Well, hence perhaps the um, title of this episode, More Speed, Less Work. Well, yeah, well, no, you know, the encouragement was there so that we, so that targets weren't being going to be set, that people weren't going to be able to reach. Because what's the point of having a target that people can't reach on a consistent basis because they've been doing something 40% faster for the five minutes or the one hour yeah. or whatever. That they've had and that. In a re- yeah. And in, a, and in a repetitive data-driven kind of job, that sort of thing can quite easily become a factor. Looking around the factory, obviously Nell and Flo, um, the stackers and packers, and in this case garden gnome decorators, they're, mm. a, they're a gossipy pair, but they seem to be knuckling down all right. Yeah. Ted Turner... The machine operator is uh, going along. Owner of CNN. Yeah, Roy Roy Willing, his assistant, is br- bringing extra Dougal sugar lumps from the warehouse. Yeah. The only person who, it seems, isn't doing any work is Tracy up in the design office, 
who is very clearly seen playing noughts and crosses on a computer. Yeah. Regardless of this, Mr. Duncan's conclusion is that if mm. there's one thing that's holding up things in this factory, it's Bertha. Yeah. Now, I think that's an unusual conclusion when you consider that Spottiswood and Co. are basically a warehouse with one machine in it, and the machine can make anything. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 there's a lot that's very problematic going on here. <laughs> You've got this machine that can make literally anything, yep. and you are woefully underusing it. Yeah. You know, really, really woefully underusing it. Well, yeah, it's spitting out one garden gnome a minute. Yeah, that's that's not working. You've got this guy who's engaged in deceptive practices, basically trying to run a time and motion study <laughs> without the permission of the staff. And yep. then unilaterally trying to change their job description. Yeah, it should be stressed that... that without their consent. The factory manager is out, isn't he? Yeah, all the while telling them that they're lazy and that they're too slow. Yeah, but most of all, Bertha is too slow. Yeah. Now, the rest of the factory floor staff are up in arms about this because they argue that, in fact, Bertha is the best machine in the factory, which must be quite hurtful for Tom. But mm. nevertheless, Bertha is the best machine in the factory and ultimately, obviously, industrial action is taken. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about... I, when I was thinking about the, the girl playing noughts and crosses on a computer. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and I, I, it got me to thinking about when I was in my first kind of proper full-time job there and they had an IT guy who <laughs> was in the same office as us. Oh, blimey. And he sat in the corner... The entire time I worked for that company, it was about a year and ten months or something, <laughs> playing Doom <laughs> on his pizza. <laughs> All day, every day. He never did anything else. Yeah. They hi- they kind of hired him. The, the, the way that this place was run, I'll put it this way, it was a, they had a company tie <laughs> that everybody had to wear, including me. I've probably still got one somewhere. Oh, okay. It's navy blue with orange stripes, and it's got a white. It's got five white animals' heads on it. I can't remember what they are though. Mm. I was trying to remember earlier. I even googled it, and it didn't come up. But it was a kangaroo, definitely. Kangaroo was on it, <laughs> and I and I think an Irish wolfhound was on it. Wow, it's a um, very specific cast of characters, and a couple of others. I can't remember. Maybe a Yorkshire terrier. I don't know. <laughs> It was supposed to represent the nationalities of the five people who'd founded the company who were like... Oh, right. But it was that sort of place, and because it was that sort of place, it had this, like, 70-year-old manager who didn't know dick about dick. (laughs) And had basically hired this IT guy when there was nothing that ever needed to be done. No, well... We didn't... We didn't run on Windows PCs or anything like that. No. You know, these were like kind of like workstations. And it was very forward thinking of the company to get an mm. IT guy. But <laughs> it was may, maybe 20 to 30 years ahead of time. Yeah, even though he never actually had to do anything. Well, no. That is a sackable offence, isn't it? I, I mean, yeah, of all the people that we saw, I think Tracy 
You're the wrong person to ask because you've never set foot in an office. Tra- Tracy is the only person who's doing anything that I would deem as being questionable. Bertha, I think, is being hung out to dry by someone who mm. clearly has got a bee in their bonnet about Bertha. Well, I'm not sure why. Bertha is clearly the best and indeed only hope for that factory to keep going. What are they going to make without Bertha? This is not spying. It is called time and motion study. It is to find out how fast people work and to see how quickly machines make things. It is this machine that's too slow. When you finish this job, Ted, I am closing Bertha down for good. But Bertha's the best machine in the factory. She is too old and too slow. Ah, oh. And far too clever by half. You're right. You're you're right to 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 make it clear how fundamentally absurd all of this is. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I and mean, then you start. And the, but the thing is that you're starting to get this far into it, and then of course they drop a nice big old racism in. So. Well, now. Let's let's discuss this because obviously this is a very major issue in Bertha now. The the character of the warehouse forklift driver Panjit Singh. Good morning, Ted. Morning, Roy. Who are these little fellows? They're garden gnomes. What do they do in the garden? They just sit around next to flowers and things. Why do they wear funny hats? So that people will know that they're gnomes, of course. Where can you buy them? Oh, in gardening shops. If I had a gnome in my garden, it would have to wear a turban. Why don't you ask Ted to get Bertha to make you one with a turban? That would be jolly nice. Could Bertha do that? Bertha can do anything. Best machine in the factory. Now, what do we know about Panjit Singh? Well, one... We know that he is of Indian extraction, if not mm-hmm. Indian birth. Yeah. We know that he is a Sikh because his name is Singh and he wears a mm-hmm. turban. Yeah. And we know that he works at Spottiswood and Co. in the warehouse. And that yeah. he's friends with all... Because it's a very friendly factory. As Mrs. McClackety points out, you know, it's a very happy factory. When Mr. Mm-hmm. Duncan's trying to mess everything up. The idiot. Yeah. I mean... Do you consider Panjit Singh to be a racist character? I mean, obviously, by modern standards, he's voiced by a white actor, which is increasingly taboo. Yeah, I mean, OK. The actual dealing with of the character is 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 not unsympathetic. The, his his does his garden gnome have to wear a turban? Well, that that is obviously that's going to be an issue for Sikh scholars. I don't really know enough about the Sikh religion to know, but I would it's... suspect that it's not a written rule that if you're a Sikh and you've got a garden gnome, the garden gnome has to wear a turban. The yeah, the turbans are mandatory for um, uh, initiated Sikhs, so like a kind of yeah. full fat. Well, yeah, we're going to assume that Panjit Singh is a a fully paid-up Sikh. He's got his his turban on, he wears his turban Because it's there to hold their hair in, isn't it? Because they're not not allowed to cut their hair. 
No, they've got very elaborate hair. Yeah, so it, it's to to keep that out of out of sight and out of mind, no doubt. That's but um, good move. It's but it's you know the fact that they make an issue of the turban. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like. Could he not just have gone over and had a chat with them about what's a garden gnome and they told him and that was that? It's an interesting... Did they have to go go off on this... (laughs) Well, well, I think it probably needs a turban tangent. Was that even necessary? One thing, it demonstrates Bertha's range, that that Ted, who is the machine operator, Ted is one of a number of characters in this who looks... has got that fundamental uh, look that is very common in an Ivor Wood film. Big nose, big chin, long, thin head. Usually yeah. including a moustache of some kind. In this case, he's got a Hitler moustache. I think he's right to be a bit annoyed. I think, um, yeah, I think so. I think he's taking it out on the wrong people. And I think he needs to look at the people around him and the management. Because at the <laughs> end of the day, it's them who are taking this magical mystery machine and having it make garden gnomes. And to be honest with you, if I've got a machine that can make anything, and it goes from making a garden gnome to making a garden gnome in a turban, that's not going to be the thing that makes me go, wow, this machine really can do anything. Possibly not. I mean, it's not the biggest step up, but it is. A, it did represent a change. I just think it could do so much good. Well, I think... With Panjit Singh, he's, he's one of those difficult characters because, of course, if you don't include any ethnic minority characters, you get in trouble. But well, if, no, and then if you're, you, not, you're not being, you're, then you're not being representative. You're not being representative. But then you include one and, you know, people go, well, that could have been a bit more sensitively done, which, you know, it's not, they're not mutually exclusive. It could well, be. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, but that's the point, though, isn't it? Yeah. The point is. The the point at which it becomes racist <laughs> is when somebody thinks it's a good idea, having written an Indian character, to not go, right, we should probably get an Indian in to do that. Yeah. And instead of that, go, God, just give it to just give it to Roy, he'll 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 get and then Roy Hud's like, Yeah, alright, then fair enough. And and you know. Well, I mean, at least they then get Spike Milligan in. It's just this kind of intellectual laziness. It's just like, um, we oh, we can't be bothered to make that extra step. Or it's not worth the 200 quid that we'd have to pay somebody to come in and just do these few lines. Well, of I think that, that there is, yeah. Because he barely makes another appearance in it. That is a big... I mean, he is, I believe, in more or less every episode. But he is a supporting character. And... and they were trying to keep, obviously, the the money down. There's only two voices in the entire yeah. thing: Roy Kinnear and Sheila Walker, who does the. Yeah. The okay. Women's well, voices. fine. In that case, then maybe it'd be a better idea to not have an Indian character. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's possible. It's something you that know. they sidestepped with Charlie Chalk by making all of the characters different species. Yeah. Well, nobody's nobody's forcing it on them, are they? No, no, that's that's certainly that true. was a, that was a decision that they made, and I dare say that they made it with the best of intentions. I think that that is you know, probably true. Yes, 
I'm sure they did. You know, I I I I doubt if in 1985 somebody was sitting in a television studio going, "I'll tell you what we should do with this Bertha." Combat 18 infiltrated let's a, Bertha. Let's have, a, let's have a good old laugh at the Indians. Yeah, that would be unlikely. I think doesn't strike me as like a faction it falls of into, it's but it's the casuality of it that's the thing you know the, i've spoken before on this podcast about the relentlessness of this <laughs> there is something in every single fucking show yeah um it's just like it, it just goes on and on and on and, it, and it's not getting any better no, no, because no. It, of course it's not going to get any better because what we're watching are moments that are frozen in time. So well, why yeah, would it? and we're mo- moving you know. further away from. Them. <laughs> and if anything, they're going to get worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, come back to us if we review if we're still reviewing these in ten years' time and see what our opinion is then. It's best best not to dwell too much on that. I'd rather not. Yeah. The well, the, I was. The character I was more concerned with than Panjit Singh, actually, was Mrs. Tup, the tea lady. Bertha's best. Bertha's best. Bertha's best. Bertha's best. Bertha's best. Now, come along. Time to stop protesting and have a nice cup of tea. Who, when the staff all go out on strike in support of Bertha, tells them, you know, come on, stop stop being on strike and have a cup of tea. Now, what, mm. a, what a black-legging scab she is. What a scab. <laughs> what an... A- she's got one job in that factory, and she's doing it. Yeah, she's a Nottinghamshire miner. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute bloody... D- I mean, even Panjit Sick was actually sick in his turban, ironically. <laughs> Bertha is a, an interesting machine. As as we say, she's got a, her own personality, which is a, you know, a concern. She's also well, the thing is, she's got arms thing as is, well and a face. Yeah, well the thing well, yeah, that's what I mean about sentience. <laughs> the thing is, Bertha's a bit of a piece of shit, really. The results of his time and motion study were correct. If the, if those results were correct, yeah, she wants to pull her finger. I out. think it's been since the fifties. I think time and motion studies have been done. They were already well established by nineteen eighty five. They've gone through a few different ways of doing it, and I'm sure it still evolves now. If the staff at Spottiswood Co. haven't seen the film I'm Alright, Jack, then... Yeah, well, there you go. But, you know, this has been going on for years and years and years. So quite their, why they're so surprised that it's happening to them mm. is beyond me. And why he's doing it, trying to hide behind some pallets so that they don't see... No, you're supposed to come out and do it. You're right, OK. What we're going to do today is we're going to do a time and motion study, and this is really basically just an information gathering job yeah. uh, to make sure that we we understand how long it takes you to do your roles, and um, so we can make life um, easier for everybody. Yeah, and and we can assess your 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 productivity. Yeah, we want you to carry on with your day as normal. Don't rush through it because you feel as if you need to get better scores. They're not used like that. Yeah. All the results are anonymised. He's an idiot, though, isn't he, Mister Duncan? Because what he well, actually no, he didn't. Did. He, he went and stood behind some crates where everybody could see him anyway. Yeah scribbling furtively on a clip then he shut down he shut down they didn't get right to the very very end of it but I would not be in the slightest bit surprised if he got sacked he shut he shut down Bertha he sent Tom 
from the factory floor to go and clean up in the offices, which is a job that he's wholly unsuited for, as we can tell from the fact that he threw everything in the bin. And then a potted plant out of the window, which yeah. nearly killed the returning Mr. Willmake, the factory manager. I mean, that mm-hmm. could have, that could have, if that plant had landed on his head and Mr. Duncan had taken his job, that would probably have been the end for that company. All of this would, all of this would then have actually happened because he'd have actually been in charge. It's, it's, it's worrying, isn't it? The, these little quirks of history, the way that things. Luckily, Mr. Willmake and the designer, Mr. Sprott, are on hand to undo all of the damage. Mr. Sprott is another one, you know, long, thin head, big nose, moustache. It's a a line of people like, you know, Graham Hill, Jimmy Hill, and, of course, Bruce Forsyth. Why am I mentioning Bruce Forsyth? Because Ted Turner, the machine operator for Bertha, is basically Bruce Forsyth, isn't he? So, Paget, you'd like Bertha to make a dome wearing a turban? Yes, please, if it would not be too much trouble, Ted. There we have that one, Roy. Bertha's going to make a loan with a turban. It's a shame that he doesn't say I'm in charge at any point, because I think I bet we would have come out if he'd said that. I think it would have been more like a double take from me at first. When when Mr Duncan tells everyone that Bertha is being held responsible, Bertha, who, you know, is midway through carving her 16th garden gnome of a 12-hour shift, steals his hat. So, you know, you could be, you you could be onto something. Maybe Bertha was to blame. And then steals, and then steals, deliberately conceals... Oh, absolutely, yeah, steals the clipboard. ...the paperwork, which confirms that nobody in this company is being in the room. The site is a bit productive. That's not, like, capitalism talking there. That's, like... What industry needs? Yeah, <laughs> you know, so socialism requires productivity just as much as capitalism. But the, does. the the evidence that was on Mister Duncan's <laughs> clipboard, gobbled up by the very machine he was trying to condemn, and then once he has been thoroughly repudiated and put in his place, yeah, Bertha spits reason. out a little um, a little diorama of garden gnomes holding the clipboard. Yeah, because. It's an interesting one, because it could go one of two ways for him. Bertha needs to be scrapped. That much is obvious. <laughs> yeah. Either that, or put to some proper fucking work. Yeah. Making weapons. Complacent. That's what it is. Compla- yeah, <laughs> weapons. <laughs> to, to sell. But then again, would, the would Padgett Singh, as a, as a dedicated Sikh... He wouldn't want to work in a factory that made weapons, would he? Well, you know, he doesn't have to work there if you don't want to. Oh, that's, uh, I mean, that is the free market, isn't it? You know, that's the free market. And if, if, if we're going to make a, a, a... Get Bertha to make a death laser. Yeah, Bertha's going to make a death, death laser while Tom... Death laser. To sell on order. It's on order from the North Korean yeah. government. While Tom throws Mrs. McClackety's typewriter out the window onto school children. Yeah. And um, Tracy yeah. completes her 40th game of noughts and crosses that morning. It was unsatisfying. No, not a fan. And I say that, I say that as somebody who watches a lot. You of do kids watch TV. a lot of kids TV. 
unsatisfying. I, I actually, I have to say, I quite enjoyed getting back into the world of the characters. They're very familiar to me. I'd forgotten quite how much of a Hitler Tash Ted Turner had. I think I was aware of the fact he had well, a Hitler Tash. But it's so it's so compact his toothbrush moustache that it's usually concealed by his massively huge nose. I think that Ted Turner was already famous by 1985. Oh well, I should think so. I mean, his assistant Roy Willing is nearly Roy Whiting, who wasn't famous by yeah, 1985, but in, boy in, is he in, now in, in, infamous. infamous. Yeah. But no, in 1985. Because Ted Turner founded CNN, didn't he? I'm going to say yes. yes. It rings a bell. Yeah. No, that was before 1985. Well before 1985. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was about 1980. It's quite a common name, though, isn't it? Ted Turner. There's probably a number of Ted Turners. Yeah, but... Oh, and no one in the BBC Nobody, yeah. would have noticed that. <laughs> well, yeah. That would be staggeringly incompetent. So you're not going to be watching any more Bertha. There's only 12 more episodes in the whole wide world. Only... Oh, life is too well, short. It only take a couple of hours. Bertha could make a garden gnome in that time. I mean, actually, you'd get a better idea uh, of the full range and scope of the things that Bertha can make. Whether hmm. they include death rays... I don't know. I don't remember there being a death ray episode, but then again, you know, 1985, you're still very much at the peak Cold War years, so who knows what Bertha was up to. Well, I suppose, yeah. Creamy centres. Well. You you strike me as somebody who watches a lot of things on on YouTube and elsewhere, because uh, I happen to know for a fact that during the last week, you've downloaded every single television series ever made by anybody. Not quite, <laughs> no. I decided to start rebuilding my collection, so I ripped a bunch of stuff from Duva yep. Um I've downloaded some other stuff, which was freely available, and, uh, I'm, and I'm building up... Uh, what what feels like a, a, is going to be quite a nice collection. I, it, it seems to me like you're going to have a collection that's sort of somewhere in between Bob Monkhouse's collection and the collection they've got at the V&A. Yeah, you know, that, that, that would be the aim. <laughs> Ian's Museum of Old Television. Yeah, the aim is to have a nice balance, a nice balanced collection. I now have a, two hard drives plugged into my Raspberry Pi. <sighs> Uh, one of which is old TV and one of which is new TV. And what's the cut-off date? Well, that's really difficult. Uh, I just, I started thinking about that because I was like, well, if I'm going to have a cut-off date, I should probably know what that cut-off date is. You've got to have a cut-off date. We've got a cut-off date for this podcast. 30th yeah, of March yeah. 1997, the date of the launch of Channel 5. Yeah, it's probably around about that date. It's just, what, except it... You know, because I was, originally I was going to be like, all right, okay, year 2000, though. 2000. That's nice and neat. And then, of course, I saw that I had Spaced. Yeah, the Spaced is very much... The... And Spaced is 1999, the first series of it, I think. If it's not, it's 98. Like, that's... It, it's one of those, I know it when I see it. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, actually, that is a, the best system for any kind of... List. I, I know my lists and uh, collections, and that's definitely the system that I use the most often. I'll know it when I see it. Yeah, it's a two-point system. It's one. I'll know it when I see it, and point two is shut up. <laughs> so just remember that point two is very important. You'll find 
when point one is what it is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if there's an answer that you're looking for, hoping for, yeah. expecting or anticipating, yeah. then uh, in all yeah, honesty, just shut your goddamn mouth. Shut your goddamn um, mouth. But have, uh, having collected all of this exciting stuff, have you watched any of it? Yeah, I've watched quite a lot actually. It's yeah. I, I mean, the thing is that. And I'm sure we'll come on to this in a minute. Is that the one I've been really gorging on, or not quite gorging on, because you have to drip feed it, has been the professionals still. Because um, what a piece of work that yeah, is. Yeah, well, I mean, subscriber podcast wise, next week for our main podcast, we've got a very special episode because it's our 69th edition overall. Yeah. Uh, but for our subscribers who uh, will already have heard, our special 69th edition as we went out a couple of weeks before for them um we're going to do the professionals next week you wanted to do a podcast about professionals we're going to do a podcast about the professionals mm. the only thing is i've never seen the professionals so i have to watch that this week yeah so i'm actually i'm quite looking forward to it because it certainly it seems to have got you in the right tizzy it's what sort of era are we talking here? Uh, the first series is 1978. Oh, okay. So it's actually reasonably late in terms of 70s drama. Oh, it was, you know, it ran till 1983, I think. Okay. 78 till 83. So it's, 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 it's got a different um, feel to say the Sweeney, the Sweeney is always the program that you'd pro- that most people compare it with in their heads, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but it's got a very different feel and a very different look to the Sweeney. Yeah. Um, Regan and Carter wouldn't take any of the bullshit, but, you know. <laughs> Cody and Doyle. Come yeah, but then with. again, Regan and Carter are police officers, and therefore they can't get away yeah. with some of the bullshit. That, um... But these, but yeah, and the and these boys, these 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 boys are <laughs> fucking idiots. Cannot understate that that they are fucking and also sociopaths and and sociopaths. But every single element of it is fantastic. <laughs> I love the fact that it takes place entirely in the home counties. I love the fact that whole sequences of events take place in order solely to push the story towards what's obviously going to be its conclusion. <laughs> Doesn't matter whether they make sense. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it kills off three characters who've been in the whole thing up until this point and then they just die and you never see them again and they, it never gets yeah. mentioned. Who cares? And it is like peering in to a parallel universe in which human speech is written by AI. <laughs> They haven't quite got it right yet. But I love it because it is. I I don't know how much they mean it. You know, I don't know how self-aware they were. Well. And and it, it's, a, it's a glorious thing and I recommend it to all. They, you know, I think there's five series. It might be four. It's either four or five series of The Professionals. And you don't really need to bother with anything after the first two. The first one, I think, is the best, and the second one is the second best. And they do kind of deteriorate slowly, but that 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 does accelerate. And by the time that gets to the last series, 
they're just all out of ideas. Everything that can be done within this, what must have they must have thought in the first place was a very open-ended idea. Wow, these guys can do anything, police or military or a combination of the both. Yeah. Actually, the number of things that all those people can do is extremely limited. So Yeah. It was tied up in red tape. Yeah, it's glorious. It's glorious. I love it to bits. Uh, my creamy centres this week mostly revolved around the bays. Yes. I watched a two-part documentary called A History of Snooker presented by Steve Davis on YouTube. The first part of which was very interesting. The second part of which got a bit sort of bitty as as the the first era of the great snooker players of the 80s was replaced by, you know, the 1990s. To that end, I then found a three-part documentary called Snooker Gods on the iPlayer, which was entirely mm. dedicated to those early snooker heroes. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's just been on real telly because a lot of people have been talking about it on Yeah, it's very media. good. It's, um, it's got your Alex Higgins, you've got your Steve Davis... You've got a bit of Stephen Hendry, uh, you've got some Jimmy White, and then they, they don't really dabble. Once Stephen Hendry has won his first world championship, they don't really dwell on any of the other malarkey. So that's your sort of end point. Yeah. You've always got to have a start point and an end point. It's very important. Uh, and the other snooker-related thing I watched was something that I saw on Twitter, which was an HTV documentary where Cliff Wilson... Terry Griffiths and Ray Reardon, three great snooker players who all came from a sort of triangular area of the south of Wales, play mm. snooker on the side of a hill outside Tredega. Yeah. I don't think that that table would have passed World Championship muster. It, it strikes me as unlikely. I don't think it was 100% flat. And I think that as much as it was an interesting gimmick. I, I, I think Ray Reardon looked pretty angry actually. The pure the purity well, of his know. game was being interfered with. Yeah. Snooker. That's what we've been watching this week. Snooker and paramilitary psychopaths doing what they like. Yeah, and old sitcoms. <laughs> yeah, of course oh, of course. Watched a lot of, of old course. sitcoms. A lot of old sitcoms. Too many. Too many. Next week, we don't need any uh, programme because we've got a special episode next week. Uh, it's our 69th overall edition. It's a, It will be our 45th regular Everest. When you add yeah. 24 Advent calendar Everest to that, you get 69. Yeah. So we're going to be watching yeah. the film... Not normally it would be normally be too long, so it's an extra special treat. We don't yeah, we don't usually do movies. Confessions of Window Cleaner. The bawdy yeah. sex comedy from nineteen seventy four. You lucky, lucky people. Yeah. It's just occurred to me that I don't wanna I don't wanna let light in on magic or anything, but we've already watched this. Twice. You've watched it twice. I have watched it twice. And I'm gonna have to watch it twice now as well. Aren't I? Well, if you like. I am. I am. I, I can't remember anything that happened. or I mean, It doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't really matter. The, your, the podcast's already been recorded. Your work is done. Yeah. So, 
It's, I mean, I think the podcast is all right, actually. The podcast yeah, is better actually, than the film. No, it, I'll it's, say that. Uh, it's come out very well and got some George Formby in there. Yeah. Which is always a boon. Yeah. So hopefully you will all enjoy that. Although we should stress, don't attempt to watch Confessions of Window Cleaner. You won't you won't learn anything from it. And well, as as you Unless you've lived an exceptionally sheltered life. Well, I mean, even if you've left an exceptionally But I you you look, you do get to learn what Robin Asquith's arse looks like. That is true. And you see so, some muffs yeah. as well. And get you a bit see of some muffs. Muff. Yes. So uh, that's where we're up. That's where we're up to with this. Oh, podcast. actually, you know, just yeah, just why not watch it? Watch away, see whether or not you can um, spot the bit where he's getting chemical burns on his balls from the uh, detergent that they used. So there you go. This podcast will be back next week. I will have my feet up, getting myself a tan. Yeah, carrying a straw donkey under my arm. Yeah, your work has already been done. Yeah, I've already put in the hours. So thanks very much for listening, and goodbye.